And we start in three, two, one. Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. Hold on, hold on. I'm supposed to say that. Oh, sorry. Let's start again. Starting in three, two, one. Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. I'm Randy Baker. And I'm Dr. Kent. <laughs> no, we, we got it wrong again. We try again. Uh, I don't know if, I don't know how long this bit is going to work. I think people are going to turn this off. I think we're done. <laughs> I think we're done. So we talked today to somebody who's pretty, pretty fun. Um, she might appreciate this. She might. And actually, we got a little bit lost on the way. We had to go all the way to the northern border and I don't know my direction. So we finally found our way to Canada where we talked to Carol Henry. Yeah. And now I don't want to spoil any uh, fun stuff we talk about, but we do talk about thumb sucking. Among many other things, you'll be surprised by this one. Yeah, it's one of the most interesting interviews we've done. So listen up, guys. Make sure you turn the volume up. Take a few minutes, grab a cup of coffee or a glass of red wine, and listen to Carol Henry. Nice to talk with you, Carol. I have to say, I'm sure people compliment your glasses all the time, but I'm a glasses guy. <laughs> I like them. Where'd you get them? Why'd you choose those? I have a girl that comes to the house, a woman, and anytime I need glasses, and so we buy from her, so she knows my so face. someone comes to your house with... With huh. bags no of way. glasses, like a, a whole bunch of boards, <laughs> yeah phenomenal and she ch and she charges way less than than retail are these like black market glasses or something is this like you know don't tell I don't, anybody I don't think it's so. only cash <laughs> <laughs> i don't know all i know is that i like to have glasses that are lively i like that lively that's that's i i just like i like it to reflect my energy or how I perceive my energy to be, how I perceive my, I like my energy to be. Let's put it that so way. So how did you retain lively energy over that many years in academics? Oh, because, you know, I get in trouble there <laughs> all the time. I hate their rules. I hate how lugubrious mm. the institutions are. I hate how reactive they are. So I'm just always, I, I play my, I play my own game. I, Hopefully, don't get into too much trouble. And by the end, 10 years ago, it was getting too difficult. So we parted ways <laughs> because I couldn't keep that energy under those situations. And it's interesting, almost starting there, um, that gives you such a unique window into corporate, into, I mean, heck, just about any, any institution we humans create. So what, what's your um, hope through the work you do? I'm, my goal is for the people that I have the opportunity to connect with is that they can develop through their contact with me the whole idea of who are they, what do they bring to, what, what are they bringing, honoring their heart and 
being in choice. In choice is such an interesting thing. So that the 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 sort of collective collective noun of choice. That's really interesting. Yeah. So I mean, for me, being in choice about who you're growing into, like making that choice on it intentionally on a daily basis, and then um, following up following up with focused action that that aligns with the choice of, of, what, of what you're looking for, being in choice, how you behave in relationships, being in choice, what job you have, who you work for, and being in choice about how you express your needs and what you want and being in choice about how your emotions are, how to turn your emotions into a positive catalyst for your next step, whatever that may be. Carol, we hear a lot of people say, things along the line of, well, that's just the way I am. Or they say, you know, I hate my job, I hate my life, I hate my husband, I hate my wife, and go on doing exactly the same thing. So it's obvious that a large percentage of the population don't live in choice and don't know how to get from where they are to living in choice. How do you help people with that? Um, I think... I think one of the, the most impactful things I've learned that's helped me help others or be on a, a change journey with others or a transformation journey with others is understanding first and foremost how our brain works, the neuroscience of the brain. And most of us spend a ton of time in the primitive brain, driven by our story, by our emotions by the past, it's in our eyes all the time. And so when they say they're not in choice, they're not. Because the more time you spend in that primitive brain, the less time you have in your prefrontal cortex, in the, in the part of the brain that's creative, innovative, partnering, collaborative, bonding, the positive emotions. So when you're in your primitive brain out of choice, which is how our brain defaults, actually, we're, you know, to, to deal with the saber-toothed tiger. It's, you know, it's an old, old, old instinctual response, but we still have it. So the trick here is to understand that and then figure out how do I switch myself from just trying to survive to a mode that allows me to thrive. And that's what my work's all based on. Because we default to negative we have a four-lane highway going that way. And to our prefrontal cortex, that's a dirt road. Looking for the good in things and looking for the gift in things. We have to train ourselves to do that. And that is what puts you in choice. That whole training thing, that getting, managing your mind, managing the monkey mind. And that's what I mean by choice. So in choice... I find such a an interesting concept because um, kind of growing up, I, I was one of those kids that did a lot of things and every, it felt like everyone was saying, choose, choose, right? Which is a very different thing than to be in choice. And I, I think the we're often requiring people and, and kids and, I don't know, uh, all of us to choose and not to be in choice. So it feels like there's a little discomfort, a little bit of uncertainty as part of choice. There, there is uncertainty as part of choice. You've, you've really hit it on the head. Um, and uncertainty is counters the ability to be up here. 
uncertainty takes you into your emotions because that's the safe place. So, and, and I couldn't agree with you more. Asking young people to make their life choices, never, never mind life choices, what sport they're going to play. Are they going to dance? So, I mean, I, I have a real bee in my bonnet around asking your children to exclusively do something at a young age, because that's not a kid in choice. That's a kid doing your choice. And as a young person, it's really hard with all the interference and all the pressure to have the space to actually make choices. So I, I, don't, I don't like a lot of choice. I, I like people to do a well-rounded thing. You know, so I, I want my son or daughter to play hockey, lacrosse, baseball, figure skate, try them all. Don't just do one. They'll all drop off and your choice will come from your heart if, you ha- if you're exposed to a lot of things. Same thing in school. One of the, my biggest bees in the bonnet in our education system is for the last 10 years, we were streaming kids in grade nine, according to how well they do math. Like, come on, that is horrifying. So I agree with what you're saying. Making choices before we are actually ready and self-aware is a real daunting thing. And you can't be using your heart for that. You're using everybody else's opinions. So when you were seven, Carol, what sports did you play? And did you have that degree of choice yourself? Um, or were you, you know, choosing what somebody else was choosing for you? And then can you relate that to why you went into this field of, of work today? I think that, well, first of all, don't forget, I grew up a long time ago, maybe closer to when you grew up, Randy, than when Kent grew up. So the, the, early, the early 90s. Yeah, I, well, I'm a boomer, so hello. Uh, there was not the extent of organized activities that exist today. So we were way freer to spend our free time doing not unorganized things. So, you know, as sports, I, I danced, I played the piano. These were all things though my mom wanted me to do. There's no doubt about it. And I was the type of person that I, um, my learning curve, I quickly got above average very quickly and then got stuck there, never got excellent, right? Because I never wanted to put in the effort because uh, it wasn't part of my heart. And when I wanted to stop, my mother was devastated. And she labeled me as a quitter. Now, that's my strength. I know when to turn and move on. I know when I've gotten to a level of mastery that's enough for me. So that has enabled me to be incredibly agile and flexible and spontaneous. So interesting, a tough label. I had to figure out how that was actually one of my strengths. And I forget your question. It connects to something else now. I'm supposed to connect. Yeah, it. connect it to what you're doing today. Uh, and thank you for reminding me of that because I, I was so involved with your story, I had forgotten my question as well. So, <laughs> yeah. I think that the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing today is because I am a connector. I don't do well with social garbagey conversations. I really like to get in there. 
uh, with people. So as a young kid, I actually grabbed, I had a bunch of adult friends, like five. I used to walk down the street to this woman's house and connect, I guess. When I was 11 and feeling on the outside, I had some adults who I went to and talked to. I just spent time with them, but I didn't know what they were, you know, what was happening. I was just part of this process and they were, you know, helping me see my own strengths, helping me see that maybe fitting in there didn't matter. So I, I really believe it's those kinds of relationships I had by chance as a young kid, maybe not so much by chance, I sought them out, but help me realize how important connecting relationships, being curious about others, asking good questions, helping people navigate their own issues without giving answers. Because I, I had those relationships, I think that's just how I developed. And the other piece was when I was 13, my mom went back to um, grad school and took small group process. I don't know what she did, but it was psychology. And I was right there watching. And that's why I love group work. I'm, I'm sure of it. I love the term garbage conversations. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you said a lot of amazing things. What I find really interesting is the there are so many conversations that that are incentivized, right? I'm talking to this person because, and there's like a what's what's the subtext? What is this for? Whereas what you're talking about, so it was funny. Both Randy and I were nodding like crazy when you were talking about making friends with old people because that was my childhood too i was like i, I knew the people down the block they're like they'd give me nice like candies and stuff <laughs> like hey sure i'll come and hang out yeah but uh those were not garbage conversations because i recall when i was five or six and i talked to the nortons next door and they brought me in and they they gave me some tea and they were really old and they were asking me about school and we were i was asking them about being old no, no, no. They were super old. Well, they were at least they were at least forty. No, I'm kidding. Um, but but no, I asked them about being old. Right? I, I was a bold little kid. I would ask people the hard questions even then. So I'm curious if we go a little deeper on those relationships you made as a kid. I'm curious what kind of questions did you ask those folks um, in the neighborhood at six and eleven and thirteen? I always wanted to know. I, I was a big wire. Why is that important? Why does that matter? Um, how does that matter? What happens if it doesn't matter? That, that kind of stuff. I also was really, really interested in, I want to say transformation, but what it really is, is change, personal change. And I do really remember when I was stopping sucking my thumb. <laughs> Now, I don't know how much of this is my own personal memory or how much I've been told the story, but I reported to these grown-ups in my life, I'm going to stop sucking my thumb. And then I reported on my progress. And they were a reflection of that for me. They were my cheerleaders. It was my first understanding of what true support was from people who weren't actually your parents. So... Yeah, I learned about support. I learned about how people do things for different reasons. It could be the same thing, but person A does it this way and for this reason and that way for that reason. So I think that it, it helped me learn how to stand back and not judge. So 
when I'm thinking about this, this little kid going like, so, uh, this week, um, I slipped, slipped a couple of times, you know, the, did the, you know, suck the thumb, uh, uh, every day, but, but I, I think I'm doing better. I think I'm doing better. Uh, and seeing the reflection, you know, in those, those local friends, you know, and how that applies to the work you're doing today. Cause to be honest, that is the work of the greatest executive coaches, team coaches, uh, leaders of organizations, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the way it connects is it really, it really showed me. And, and of course I, I had no words for it, but it really showed me how to have people on your journey with you and not just uh, at the same level as you, but journey with people who are wise, journey with people who care, journey with people who give space to you to put that thumb back in your mouth for a day or two and and still cheer you on. And as a, as a coach along executives, that's that's really what we're trying to do is we're trying to help them tap into their own purpose, tap into their innovative mind, not have interference from their sabotaging mind um, and how to gain control of that. And, and then walk with them on their journey and offer a hand when they need it, cheering when they need it, and the mirror when they need it. One of the things that I've heard for many, many years, Carol, is that, and you mentioned earlier, you mentioned people get wrapped up in their story. It's, it's the, the story of their life. And one of the things we hear all the time is that you're the author of your own book and the next page is blank and you can write that to be whatever you want it to be. So that's the whole choice thing. And then we also hear that what your story has been in the past does not determine where you're going in the future. So all this stuff is really interesting, but I want to look at your story really briefly going forward, as in who would you love to connect with you tomorrow and what would you love to be able to tell them and how can they find you? Right now, I am so excited working with women between... And it doesn't have to be women, but I, that's who I'm attracting right now. I've, I've gone to some organizations and I'm connecting with women's groups. So, but because of my own story, which, wa which really had kept me muted, muting my voice for a long time, even though I was, uh, you know, I had nerve and, I, and I, I would go against some of the educational institutions, there was still a part of me really trapped inside myself. And when I see how women have stories that hold them hostage to outdated beliefs and attitudes that keep them out of choice, that keep them from speaking up, I've found that when I get to work with these women and help them unearth how they sabotage themselves, what the war is like inside their brain, what are the little voices telling them and how to face those voices, take the good from them, and let go of the stuff that's getting in their own way. So, and women in that category, you know, like they've they've made some they've made some mistakes. They're trapped in their high-paying jobs. They're not finding joy. 
They're not sleeping through the night. They're double guessing, second guessing, and they're brilliant. So I love those people. I love helping them find a new way to manage their mind. And that allows them to manage their story and create a new one. It's amazing how many, the beautiful thing about that audience um, just to kind of add to it, I, I've met so many people with great success, great success, but they don't live in choice. And that is that they could be earning a ton of money, having crazy success, but they don't live in that choice. So that I just wanted to underline, that's really neat. Okay, and so uh, I'll just tell you an example. I'm working with some women. It's not from within, they're all in the same organization. It's a huge organization. We all know which organization it is, if I were to say it, they're all high powered, making a lot of money. And um, so I had them go through a group of 10 go through as the eight week program, and then five have kept on with me monthly. And we've done about six months now as a group. And a couple of them said the other day, I have finally learned how to do this job and not give a shit. So that I can take care of myself too, not just the organization. I can do that and sleep through the night. I can do that and take time for myself. And I'm performing even better. It's amazing, amazing irony, right? It, it's the it's the not caring and caring more for yourself actually creates more care. Yeah, it's not the it's, yeah. it's caring for the wrong thing. It's it's realizing that. Um, if you keep on this trajectory, you'll never feel enough. You'll never feel valued. You'll never work hard enough. There is no end to that faulty belief unless you head it off right on. It's a beautiful spot to stop and reflect and say thank you, Carol. It's been really fun to chat with you. Really inspiring and uh, can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. I never thought that we would ever have an interview where we talk about thumb sucking, but within context, what a marvelous picture and how supportive people around you can help you do the most difficult things. So as a, as a child, I assume this was as a child, let's, let's assume that you're a child, it was older people around you that supported you to break a habit. And we can relate that to our lives today. We all have habits and stories that we've told ourselves that we have to change. Surrounding yourself with supportive people. Nuns especially have those habits. So I gave up sucking my thumb. thumb. (laughs) I gave up sucking my thumb uh, probably about seven or eight years ago. (laughs) And it was really (laughs) difficult. So if I'd had more wise people around me, I may have been able to do it earlier. So if you're still uh, trying to figure out how to stop sucking your thumb, come check out thoughtpartnergroup.com. Oh, there's a little assessment you can do. It may help you. So do it. That's right. And it's better to suck your thumb than the middle finger. That's enough. Mm